Welcome to Ripple Effect Connection. I'm your host, Christy Hugic. Throughout my own journey, I've been blessed to form deep connections with incredible souls who've enriched my life with their insights. Today, I'm excited to extend these connections to you, bridging the gap between impactful messages and inspiring messengers. On this podcast, with the help of my guests, we're set to explore a diverse range of topics delving into nutrition, fitness, holistic health, and the power of mindset. Our goal is to ignite transformative discussions that create a ripple effect of positive change in your life and the lives of others. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming a true luminary in the world of golf and fitness, Randy Myers. We could spend all day looking at his accolades because when it comes to golf and fitness, Randy is one of the best trainers in the country. He fills many roles and is currently the director of fitness at Sea Island and one of the founding members of the Titleist Performance Institute. He's the director of Nike Golf Performance and an innovator who has been front and center in the world of amateur, professional, and recreational golf for over 30 years. He's trained many of the world's best golfers across all tours, including major champions Davis Love III and Brian Harmon. He's also been an integral part of recent U.S. President's Cup and Ryder Cup competitions. You will be amazed at what goes into the fitness and nutrition preparation for a three-day biennial event like the Ryder Cup. But Randy's impact isn't just on the game's elite players. He has also devoted his time and energy to shaping the future of golf by training over 600 juniors. And for those of you who are passionate about golf, no matter what age or level of the game you compete in, or even if you're a parent of a rising junior, this episode is a goldmine of insights and knowledge waiting to be shared. Randy has been a professional inspiration and was always someone I looked up to during my journey to becoming a personal trainer. You're in for a treat, so let's get to it. All right, Randy, thanks for taking time out of your busy day to, uh, to join the podcast. It's great to have you. Well, it's great to be here, and thank you for coming to Sea Island and, and visiting us and getting to play a little golf. Yeah, getting to play a little golf. And just so you know, full disclosure, I am on a full belly of Southern Soul <laughs> as we sit here, so... That is one of the iconic stops, certainly, at Sea Island, as everyone knows. Well, I know that you have a lot to offer the listener, and, and the challenge for me will be not to keep you too long, because I know I could ask you a thousand questions and, and go on forever. Um, but I want to I start right now by getting into the average person. Um, I know you work with a lot of different athletes and professionals, especially in the game of golf, but I want to start with the age bracket that seems to have a lot of conflicting information that I see. I mean, I've gone through it myself where I'm like, gosh, I don't even know what to do sometimes right. anymore. So there's a lot of conflicting information out there for the 50 plus age group. Um, protein intake later in life, balancing strength with cardio. How much do I do? How much is flexibility important? So how would you advise someone who's trying to evaluate what's right for them? You know, that's a great question. I've been doing this. Uh, this is my 33rd year training golfers, but also athletes. And I think the biggest question mark that most people who get into their recreational senior golf um, days, male and female, is exactly where do I begin? And, and what differentiates a specific movement for golf versus a movement for just health? In general, if someone is doing nothing, what you want to do is start slow. And I, I would say that the, the slow process means five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, starting to stretch before you play, 
beginning a, a program where maybe you're doing some foam rolling and then using some tubing, which is a very inexpensive training aid. From that point on, if you are already working out or with a trainer and you're trying to specialize, the thing I would suggest is to really make sure that the trainer you're working with or the, the fitness program you're involved in is complementing what you're trying to do in your golf swing. So for a woman who has a lot of flexibility but doesn't have a lot of speed or wants to gain distance, I would say they need to, to make sure that they're doing some strength training, comprehensive movements, strengthening their weak side, and then also working maybe on some speed sticks or working with some the stack system to gain, gain some speed. For men in general, flexibility is an issue. They, they start to become limited in their, their ability to turn and losing hip speed. So we would focus more on the aspect of uh, weight transfer balance and then also gaining some more mobility, particularly in the shoulders. Because mm -hmm. when you look at what tour players do from a shoulder perspective and how much turn they're able to get, uh, I would say only <clears throat> probably one out of 10 men properly turn. So the swing's flat, and when it's flat, then you have lateral motion, and then it's a hit or miss. So I know that's a little bit of a complex kind of answer, but you know, start slowly, no matter what you're doing, and then try to try to balance out your existing plan with something that would be more golf centric or balance oriented to help you uh, prolong the game because it's a it's a lifetime game. You know, I, I talk to people every day and say your objective should be breaking 80 at 80. And then someone will say, well, I've never broken 80. Well, that's still a good objective. Or I want to shoot my age. You know, well, that's a great objective for an elite player. So the game always brings you back. There's always going to be one or two phenomenal results, whether it's good fortune or whether it's actual skill. So you want to build that up. You want to build stamina so you can play more often when you retire you want to be able to practice because that's a big deficiency for, for most recreational golfers. They just don't have the stamina and strength to practice. I think people just don't always understand that in order to continue to do something you love to do, whether it's pickleball, golf, Bicycling. Tennis, cycling, running. God knows we the runners who do nothing. We right. know what happens, you know, kind of to them. It is so important. Like I hear all these pickleballers that are getting injured at my, where my parents live. And I go, well, what are, I mean, if they're just running out there and doing nothing else and playing pickleball, that's exactly what's going to happen. So do, do you see that across the board? Do you feel that's this yes, accurate? It is. And, and again, the body's uh, three-dimensional. I always use the ex explanation of like an Rubik's cube, right? So you might be able to get one side with all the white on it, but the rest of it's all jumbled up, right? Or if you turn it one way, you might have two lines that look good. But the point is that in general, because of gravitational pull um, and our life today, which is, you know, you're hanging over a computer, I'm standing over or sitting over a mic, most people do not get themselves symmetrical. And, and what ends up happening is you have an injury and then you become less symmetrical and then we're fixing another injury and then you're having a joint replaced and then you've got back issues. So, um, you know, Tiger Woods, you know, is probably without a doubt, the most phenomenal golf athlete I had seen in my career. And, and Tiger will even tell you he was not symmetrical enough. As a kid, he was super pliable, like a string bean that could turn. He got older. He really wanted to get stronger. He did in that process through some of the training. He ended up being injured, and it wasn't necessarily golf-centric. But I always think about this. If Davis Love and Tiger Woods can get injured – 
and have issues with their joints, uh, any golfer could have some problems. So if you want to play better golf or any sport, make sure that you're training in all three planes of motion. So you got to be able to move laterally. You got to be able to move sagittally. You got to be able to move in the frontal plane. You got to be able to twist and turn. So I know that sounds simple, but with, with the computer technology and online information, there's tons of information out there. All you got to do is Google search, whatever, and you'll find 50 exercises. As a matter of fact, the one final thing in this question is during COVID, when the tour kind of shut down and everyone was scrambling for stuff to do, we had a bunch of guys doing all kinds of crazy sports. You know, they, they were bored. And these are high-level athletes. And we had all these guys getting ready to go back to play who were all banged up. And I was like, well, what were you doing besides lifting? Well, some were, you know, going on 20-mile bike rides. Others were playing tennis, pickleball shooting basketball, playing squash. And so even elite golf athletes who don't cross train end up injuring themselves doing other things. So if you want to play pickleball, I would definitely say stretch your calves, your hamstrings, or you're going to tear something up, right? Plus there's that 1% DNA in every athlete who says, I can get to that ball or I can hit that ball harder. And the next thing you know, uh, you got you got something you're trying to fix. So three-dimensional training. Um, we call it functional training. That term didn't exist until the last probably 20 years. But, but basically, you should be able to do everything you do right-handed, left-handed. And if you can do something with your left leg, you should be able to do it right leg. One other thing that's interesting, and it's just a side note, is the reason why professional golf athletes are so good at hitting a golf ball long distances is uh, three-quarters of them are uh, ambidextrous. They throw lefty, they hit righty. Brian Harmon throws righty, does everything righty, and plays lefty. You go down the list, a majority of the, the players that I work with do something with their non-dominant side. They could be left eye dominant. So train yourself to, to kind of get um, you know, your body more balanced out. Yeah, I used to, when I grew up, you know, I would always eat with my left hand just because I played basketball. You know, I kept just trying to do things with my left hand to try to get that feeling that you're talking about. And I think the thing that I think about from history that I wish I knew when I was growing up is the fact that we can fix imbalances, yeah. you know, corrective exercise. When I trained to become a trainer, I was like, gosh, this all makes so much sense. Like, right. you know, and we didn't always have that, you know, growing up with, so these athletes have a lot of things at their disposal right now. Well, yeah, no question about it. I mean, I, I, I recall going, you know, in the mid nineties to a lot of colleges that I worked with and trying to educate their strength staff on why golf is different and how you need to assess these players, particularly younger players before you get them in traditional power movement routines. And it just was like, well, we train the Olympic way, you know, we do Olympic lifts. And I was like, that's fine. You can do that. But when you back squat a 135 pound golfer who has never learn to back squat, you need to make sure that their ankles aren't rolling in, that their knees aren't flaring out, that one hip isn't dropped, or you're going to have a lot, a lot of issues injury wise. And, uh, years went by. And then after the Titleist Performance Institute got started and we started getting more and more certifications and interest among professional trainers, um, I'd go back and, and the tennis strength coach would be like, we're using some of that. And then the next year I'd go back and we're using that with our shortstops. And then I go back and it would be the quarterback. And then now it's fully integrated and, and, you know, Olympic lifts are not discouraged by any means in golf, but you got to be capable of handling the stress that, that goes along with that. And 
that comes back to not just the time in the gym, what you're doing on your own, the foam rolling. Um, now cold plunging has become the, the big topic of recovery. Uh, it's something all the time on top of that with nutrition, as you know, um, your body has to be able to handle, handle the recovery. Yeah. The recovery is a big thing these days, this day and age, it's, it's all about really how you recover. And it certainly as I, I know, as, as I get older, like my workouts are, when I think about my workouts, I'm thinking about, am I recovered? You know, I'm not necessarily, I might change my workout that I thought I was going to do that day. Cause I can see my tracker that tells me I'm not fully recovered from the right. last workout. So it's crazy. All the tools you have at your disposal, we're going to come back to the professional game, but I do want to ask you about the juniors. You see a lot of junior golfers. So let's just say we've even got, um, some parents that will be listening to this that have young junior golfers. What's important at the junior level to, to help alleviate problems later in life? What are you doing with juniors? You know, that's my passion. It has been, uh, my entire career. I, I think that the number one thing I would suggest is that allow your, your junior golfer to play other sports as long as they possibly can. And, and I say that in reality, you know, a lot of junior golfers are now playing, you know, 26 tournaments a year at, by age 13. So it becomes more and more difficult. But like you said, get a basketball, let them dribble, go, go shoot hoops, throw a ball, kick a ball. You know, soccer is a great training, cross-training sport for golf because – we see probably 35% of the tour played soccer. Um, you know, baseball, we're getting a lot of bigger, stronger, better athletes. We were talking about my friend Lucas Glover earlier, you know, phenomenal baseball player. Um, dad played in the major leagues, etc. So, you know, there, there's tendencies for throwing, hitting, and kicking sports to translate very well into, into golf. The second thing I would say is it's never too early to start. I worked with Morgan Pressel when she was 12 years old. I worked with a lot of elite juniors, uh, both boys and girls, starting at a very young age. And the tendency we, we see is very similar to as the body ages. You know, girls are going to be really flexible and don't have a lot of speed. Boys shoot up quicker once they start growing. Then they get stiff. And then I treated a kid this week uh, who had some severe back injuries at 15, trying to work through that. Um, so, so I would say, first and foremost, play other sports as long as you can or have another activity you like. And then secondly, make sure when you start that there's something comprehensive about it. You know, I have a hard time with a lot of these speed-based programs where kids are just swinging a club as rapidly as they can. There's nothing wrong with that as long as their application is correct. Do you do that on days you work out? Do you do that on days after you practice? Is there any monitoring of that type of progression? So you're not just building speed without having stability. So kids learn to jump, pull up, push up, crunch, throw, um, and then you can start to specialize. But the, the athletes today, the junior athletes that I get are bigger, faster, stronger. Um, J Jackson Bird, who trains at Sea Island, Jonathan Bird's son, I mean, hits the golf ball 300 and hits it further than his father. Just, you know, um, he's going to make the Junior Ryder Cup team. I, we have kids coming through here that are going to be elite, are elite, are going to college to be elite. But take it one step further. And if you have a youngster who plays other sports, get them into golf in some capacity, get them fitted for clubs make the investment in a couple lessons because in the work world at some point you'll be able to magnify the value of that commitment tenfold 
by being able to play golf at a high level. It's just a fact. Business and golf is no no longer um, the best kept secret in the locker room. It is out there, clinics and you know scrambles. If you can hit the golf ball far, you will always be invited, and you're probably going to close some business deals. Out there. Yeah, it's amazing, and it is the thing is so many business deals and things have happened on golf courses over the years. I know I'm about to ask you a question that may be impossible to answer because so much has changed. And I know we've touched on some of this already, but as far as the professional game, how have you seen how you train players evolve? Uh, You've been doing this for 30 plus years. I know that's a a hard question to answer in a short, shorter podcast. Like we don't have enough time in a podcast to go through all this, but maybe just ever look back and say, oh my goodness, like where have we gotten to? Like from the toys and the tools that you have now to the feedback you can get via computers and work with a swing coach and see, you know, flaws. You know, what's changed the most, do you feel? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the ability to do a Zoom call with an athlete in Asia or in Europe on a Tuesday during a tournament week. I mean, that was impossible in the past Um, you know, getting FaceTime and communication with someone visually is so important in what we do in terms of visual feedback. I'd say that's number one. I never saw that. I mean, I remember taking Polaroid pictures of Lee Trevino and Gary Player and the thing would come out of the, we thought we had this technology, you know, this picture would come out and then I'd take a Sharpie and we'd mark up, you know, the exercises and I mean, obviously, I'm dating myself on that. Uh, the other thing I would say is the the use of um, recovery specialists has changed tremendously. And, and a lot of those guys on tour are some of my peers and best friends. And I, I could name I, – I would be remiss to name any because I would forget a few. But the best of the best uh, are currently we're assembling our Ryder Cup staff – and I've been fortunate to be involved with a lot of Ryder Cups and, uh, you know, the therapists, the chiropractors, the cross training guys, the, the strength coaches. It's all now a collective group and team. And, and we're doing and providing the best medical um, and recovery and training um, for the athletes at the highest level. And, and I got to say, of all the things and um, opportunities I've had, being a part of that team, being, you know, working under Davis and Furick and being with Freddie and, and, you know, I'm name dropping now, but the best of the best, um, is, is thrilling. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't replace that experience from a standpoint of what I can teach a younger player, how these guys warm up, what they do, how they interact with others, how they do their practice rounds, what they do afterwards, what they do in their workouts. And uh, I guess that's that's probably the big three for me. This technology stuff is interesting. Um, the fact that, you know, obviously the machines are different and and the way we train, you know, for God's sake, I wrote the forward for the first functional trainer in 1994. I mean, a functional trainer didn't exist. Now they had these arms that went up and down and now they're everywhere, right? Uh, just a lot of things. I've occurred, but it's all for the better. And, you know, where does it end? Because it's such a global game now, right? I mean, you've got guys like Akshay who grew up coming around here, who's on tour, never went to college. Um, And, you know, obviously a peer of his, Brian Harmon, who just won the 
Open Championship was probably the greatest junior golfer at that time and probably could have gone pro right out of high school. But th those opportunities didn't exist. And, and so I would say the, the best thing that I can tell you is that you can go anywhere. Anybody with any budget can go get proper help on bettering their game and, and creating a longevity in the game. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is for people to decide which route to go and who to go to because now there's just so many, so much opportunity, you know, out there and making sure, you know, that you're working with someone who is, you know, I have to be honest, I mean, sometimes not at necessarily at the level you're at, but I've seen some trainers who aren't the best. And I've seen them do some things in the gym with clients that frighten me because you see the imbalance and they're doing squats with all these weights. So how does how does the junior and the mom out there and the dad find the, what's the best way to find the right person? I mean, is it just probably trial and error, but is it reputation? Mm. I mean, word of mouth is popular, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, the, the number one thing that I would say is talk to your coach. If you're really aspiring to be, and again, this has all changed because in the old days, I mean, even back as recently as Jim Furyk and, and other, I mean, even, uh, if you look at Xander, he's still, his dad's his coach, right? So, there's still some of that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but those coaches are going to be pretty well informed on trainers or therapists or chiropractors who can help that student. I would go initially, because you got a team, right? But someone's got to be the head coach. And, uh, you know, I always say the parents are the owners of the team, so any of that <laughs> investment they're making better be right. So, you know, you go to the head coach, and then you work down from there. If the, if the trainer or therapist isn't working in conjunction with, with the uh, coach, that can cause problems because swing coaches are generally going to go in a direction that they, they see um, the student able to go, you know, and it isn't as easy as grip changes. But and then you got the other extreme where you have guys like my friend Mark Blackburn and, and Todd Anderson and Justin Parsons who rely heavily on us almost to the point where we're, we're the offensive coordinator and we're trying to create where this, this athlete can go. So um, I, I think there's always going to be some opportunity to find a good person in your area. The Titleist Performance Institute, which um, you know I've been a founding member of and actually have been uh, fortunate enough to be in the Hall of Fame for, for that. Uh, hard to believe. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but you know, Greg Rose, Dave Phillips are great. And and they created a, on their app, on mytpi.com, you can go on, type in your um, zip code, and every person in your area will come up, whether they're medical, professional, fitness, or, or trainer. So that's a great starting point. That's a great and, thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, don't be afraid to experiment with the YouTube channel a little bit. Um, it doesn't have to be Instagram worthy to be good. Um, we block three different capacities. We say you've got to have a standard warm up. That's what people do before they hit balls in practice. That's that's a big missing link in junior golf. Most kids don't. They, they warm up on the range, and that's not effective. So um, that can be your foam rolling, your tubing, your your static stretching, your jumping. Then you get into the kind of the functional motion, which would be more kettlebell work and swings and squats and step ups and and you know single leg squats. And then you've got your power component, right? So I would say you can't go to step two without perfecting step one you can't go to step three without being really efficient at one and two and uh what i i talk talk to people all the time is what why wouldn't you mimic what the best players in the world do right 100%. wouldn't you go out there and say i want to beat dustin johnson i want to beat brooks kupka and i've been fortunate enough to 
spend time with both those guys and, and, you know, work with them on a lot of different capacities of their fitness and talk to them about it. And you kind of want to mimic that type of athlete who's one majors, who's been successful for a long period of time. That information's out there. You can find it. Now it doesn't mean you can do what Brooks did as, you know, I saw him as a freshman at Florida state doing, you know, 80 pound incline dumbbell presses. That's uncanny. I mean, it's unheard. And Dustin Johnson broad jumps 10 feet in golf spikes and pants. I mean, that that's like NBA quality, you know, 80 percentile testing models. But if you have a kid who's a super athlete, who's totally dedicated to it, what you do is you surround them by the best you can afford. And then you slowly integrate some outside consulting. Like we do that here at Sea Island, right? We, we are more like the Cleveland Clinic than we are. We have a local junior-based program, but for the most part, people come in for three days, two days, four days. They get their clubs checked with Craig Allen and his staff. They do work with Dr. Mo on their mental side They and get their practice planning. We have unbelievable short game, putting experts here, putter fitting, full swing. So, you know, those things should then go back to the uh, youngsters, uh, young players, hometown, and those should be implemented along with what the with that the local coach sees. Yeah, and I think um, you know I will link also that resource that you named you know for mytpi.com. Um, I'll link the resources for that in the show notes so that if people listen, they can find they can find those things. I know that um, people are chomping at the bit because you mentioned the Ryder Cup, and I do want to talk about your role. With that team, um, first of all, you get to go to Italy. I'm twice. so jealous. I'm twice. jealous. I'm going twice. I know because you get one ahead of time. Yeah, and then we're you're... going for a practice round. Uh, actually, I was on the phone with Davis and Zach both today. Um, we're doing. We're changing things up. You know, I got to be honest with you. Success through failure is kind of what we've tried to do. Uh, we got our fingers crossed. We, you know, that we have not had a victory in Europe in over thirty. It'll be thirty years. I mean, the Davis is the last person to make a putt to win in Europe, it's and he was a rookie. Yeah. That it was a Ryder Cup rookie. It's yeah. crazy when you think about Constantino it. Constantino Roca, right? Is that yeah? Who he beat? It's crazy when um, you think about it. Yeah, and uh, it's not fun getting beat over there. Just like they don't like to get beat over here. Uh, analytics has become a massive part of it. We were having a conversation earlier, not to reveal anything because I don't know anything. I just have suspicions but analytics become a very big factor in this and your common golf fans don't really understand that it is a team game there's only 12 singles matches right and those singles matches are very random because you know we put out who we think we should go out and they put out who they should go out and we're trying to predict what's going on either but those are the only real singles matches of the whole event the rest is who matches up in alternate shot who matches up in four balls um you know, foursomes and four balls are, are very unique, you know, and different. Uh, I've been a part of a bunch of these things. And uh, so anyway, yeah, we're going to go over, we're going to make sure our gyms are set up. Uh, the players are going to play practice rounds. We've got meetings with their nutrition people. We've got our chefs going over there. We've got, I mean. But that's what I think people don't know. Yeah. I don't think people understand that it's a, might be a one week competition. I mean, you're playing for three days, but you're, you're preparing for this with, with the gyms, the, the workouts are so important to players these right. days and the nutrition that goes into that. So give people a sense of how big of a deal this is. Cause I've seen it yeah. evolve well, over the years. It went from just worrying about peanut butter and jelly right, right, to, yeah. to now <laughs> it's a thing. Like this is a big deal to the players oh big and, and the caddies and yes. the caddies wives and the players wives and the captains no it's uh i mean 
for a, for a person like Zach Johnson, um, for a person like Davis Love or Jim Furyk, uh, for for any of the captains that you know, obviously Azinger was one of the fundamental guys in getting this thing back on track with the pod system. And um, for any, it's a it's a full commitment from those high level athletes that they give. So what ended up happening, I think that's been really good is a bunch of the players got together a few years ago and said, there's a lot of entertaining going on. And there's a lot of people we don't know around. How can we kind of, if we were at, you know, if we were at any other major, we'd be in our tight knit group. Yeah. Shrink right? in the bubble. We got to right. shrink the and bubble. And so I think what ended up happening is, um, that became apparent and it, it's even become more apparent because COVID shut everything down at whistling straits. I mean, we were literally, it was us, you know, and, uh, I think the players really enjoyed that. And, and so that's a whole another story for another day, but what, what goes on essentially is, um, in between president's cups and Ryder cups, we're constantly working on site locations. I mean, obviously Kerry Haig and his staff at the PGA of America do an incredible job. I mean, I'm fortunate. I spent a lot of my career, working down uh, doing education for them and, and et cetera. But it's a whole process. So, you know, you got, you got food allergies, you got players who are doing certain kind of dieting that, you know, you need to take those things there. You can't just show up and expect to have your favorite granola in the local store or your snack bar. So we have lists, we go through them comprehensively. We take the food we need. Um, there are chefs that are preparing food. What we found out is Freddie Couples is is really unique guy in terms of insightful communication with the players. And we're fortunate to have him again being a part of the team. And he he said players don't like to eat food out of trays. Buffet food is not now going back forever at every tour event, you know, basically for historic his, historically, players went in after they played or practiced and ate food out of trays. I mean, that's just what happened. Most people were grateful for that. Um, but a lot of the players today have chefs that travel with them. And I know this sounds unique. We we kind of turned that corner, and it's all budgetary. You know, like, it, just because you want it doesn't mean you do it, and we've never done it. So, so getting that changed, having access to not only a gym at the hotel that's not the hotel gym. Our gym is built inside of our team rooms, full gym. Um, training tables, we've got a grab-and-go station on the player floor of all snacks, every bar, everything you want, anytime, day or night, it's there. Prep work, hot tubs, cold plunges, then that's just at the hotel, and then you go to the course, and then you got a gym there, you got training table, you got all those things. So um, I could talk for hours about it because I spent a lot of my time working uh, – with the great people at the PGA and uh, it's really changed the game because I got to be honest with you. um, The PGA of America had set a precedent based upon feedback from not only the players, but the captains to do this, to elevate this. We did it. It it started to get better. It got better, better. And now it's, we're like in a phenomenal position. I would say knock on wood, you know, we know what we want. We know what we do, but now believe it or not with the last president's cup, the PGA tour, wants to you can't do it for one and not do it for another right like one's the super bowl you don't want one to be like the nfc playoffs or the nfc championship so now we're juggling these two events because you know face it the players are playing for their country there's an enormous amount of pride they're really only getting compensated for their own foundations so at the end of the day yes they they are receiving 
you know, whatever for that. And it's great. And, you know, everyone's great uh, from the standpoint of receiving it and distributing their money. But that's not why they're playing. You know, a week off in the offseason versus striving. I mean, they'll tell you, um, you know, Justin Thomas just said a couple of weeks ago, you know, the playoffs are so important to him, but to make a Ryder Cup team fully trumps. Yeah, Lucas that. said it too this week. He uh, said they asked him to choose between the two, and he said, "I have to say Ryder Cup." So it's it's a thing. It's it it's is. a big it's deal the to the greatest these guys. thing. I mean, it's it's not what you would perceive to be the Major League Baseball All Star Game. It's not that at all. If you took the Major League All Star Game and you said, "Would you rather make an All Star team or would you rather play in a World Series?" There's guys who would say, "I'd give up my Hall of Fame ring to win a World Series." Right in baseball, hundred percent. There's guys who would say, "I versus being to win a Super Bowl versus being an All Pro or whatever." In golf, um, I can't tell you the. You've got guys who, when they put that Team USA bag, they forget. They don't even know these are guys who play thirty events a year, and they're they don't have extra spikes. They, I mean, things that you would never, you would never anticipate. Um, they, they kind of forget. And I love it because they're all my buddies and I've known them all for a long time and I'm so proud to be a part of it. And part of the role that I play is just making sure there's a comfort level in that locker room with the communications between the captains and the players and when they're to go out on the range and what the you know, lineups are, making sure that these guys know that someone that they've seen there and has have been around is going to be able to take care of whatever it is they need to. And, and I remember when TrackMan became popular, and we were, I think we were in um, Medina or whatever, and uh, maybe it was the next one. It might have been a Hazel team. I can't remember. But, you know, Austin Johnson, he's like, where's Dustin's TrackMan, you know? What do you mean, where's his TrackMan? Well, you know, they just walked off the range, and but there's no access. So, you know, I'm sprinting out there to get that, and, Patrick Reed had lost a spike, so we're trying to get that out on 17. And, um, you know, it, it, someone lost a key uh, to a cart. It was sitting in the middle. of the, You can't let the captains and the players know that there's turmoil. We could all that. write our own books, I feel like, with <laughs> yes, the behind-the-scenes exactly. stuff. Yeah, I don't want to reveal crazy. too much stuff. It but, is crazy. Uh, it is intense. I mean, I know the some of the events that I remember, will always remember the most in my career are Ryder Cups, and I know that it the intensity's out there, but I also know we have a lot of fun out there yes. when we're all hanging out. Um, I also know that the peanut butter and jellies will still be important no matter what They'll be else out there. happens. They'll be out there. What people don't realize is as much as we prepare and the amount of food and things we have in stations, in golf carts, uh, you know, so we put out stations and, and we have food on golf carts, but you also need certain other things like chapstick and eye drops and benadryl i mean like these things that most of these players would have access to you get in a match and you just don't know where it is or don't have it, especially when you're in a foreign country but but um i always talk about the nota begay rule and nota will love this he had tiger when tiger was the assistant i was with them um tiger was a assistant captain by the way phenomenal unbelievable preparation that guy does he's amazing and Noda lost the key, got out of the cart in the middle of the 13th fairway, couldn't find the cart. So now we have a Noda Begay rule. We have a backup set of keys in every cart. So, you know, it's just, I mean, things that you just, you know, you can't predict, can't project. Um, and it's all, it's all in good fun. But more importantly, it's, it's, there's nothing like the winning locker room um, ever in any sport. And uh, that's, that's the best of the best. And, you know, 
at the end of that, after the celebration, you know, the team that, that won greets the team that lost. And there you go. I mean, the, the stories can't be told any more than that. It's just uh, an all night, good time, uh, a lot of camaraderie. And, you know, you want to beat your opponent. But at the end of the day, these guys, most of them are playing against each other the next week. And and uh, so so it's uh, it is definitely one of the greatest things. And by the way, I have to say, been to a number of them both in the United States and in Europe and uh, the fans uh, just it's electric I mean it's probably the hardest sporting event to watch because yeah. you only have four matches right and on a big golf course so unless you're there earlier nowhere to go right and the first tee everyone sees I mean it's jubilation and everything's crazy and on the course I mean you're waiting to see a shot you may only see half a dozen shots but no one leaves Right. You're there. You're locked in if it's Friday. You're watching the morning session. You're, you know, having a pop or whatever, getting a sandwich and you're there back. A out there. <laughs> there are definitely a couple pops <laughs> and the costumes. And I, obviously I'm, I'm being redundant with some of the things. But, yeah, it's exciting. We're thrilled. It's uh, basically a month away now. And uh, we're, we're feeling pretty good about it. You know, the team things bring in a lot of interest to it. You know, a lot of the speculation we've discussed, who should be picked, who should be left off. Everyone has a personal opinion. Um, quite frankly, you know, Zach will do his best to assemble a great team that we hope can represent our country and, uh, and hopefully bring that cup, keep it, you know, um, and that's what we're all gunning for. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you, you know, I'm big fans of all those guys and I'm certainly, um, I won't be at this Ryder cup, which will be sad, but I will be watching and I'm, I'm certainly rooting for Zach and the guys. And so it, it should be a fun competition. I know I want to circle back to one last um, one last uh, thing that you brought up earlier. We talked about the speed and the power, and there was a, a, a good time frame of, of the last in the last four or five years where we hear about this all the time. Guys are talking about uh, Matt Fitzpatrick wins. We were talking about the speed right. and the power. The speed and the power that's going on in this game is it detrimental to some? Because you know you 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 heard Rory say he made a mistake when he when he chased the speed, like how do you know the line for that? How, and how do you bring that into training with players? When I started um, in this game, the technology as it related to the equipment was slowly evolving. But people um, who were teaching at the time, some of my greatest mentors, guys like Jim Flick and Toski and those guys, weren't even using camera. They were using their eyes. So, what happened was the technology got a little bit better, which kind of forced players who were trying to hit the ball farther to analyze their physical fitness. And, and uh, Jack Nicholas started this tour called the Golden Bear Tour. And that was in the early to mid 90s. And it brought a couple hundred players from all around the world to, together. And uh, it was the first time really where we had young athletes in golf that that could put on speed and strength because it was a 12 tournament tour and we were able to train these guys assess these guys get a ton of data back most of them at the time no one hit the ball over 300 yards i mean davis was the longest hitter and he was hitting a persimmon into the 90s um you know so what ended up happening is uh ely calloway obviously uh came up with a concept the bigger face um to catch up with that, the balls got better. Obviously, a lot of equipment manufacturers put a lot of energy and, and money and, and investment into that. Shoes became better. 
Remember, there was a time where wearing a golf shoe out of a box was a no-no because your feet were, you know, nothing was customized and nothing was built athletically. Um, so that's kind of the history of it. As that evolved and the tours got better and the younger players came out, um, and I remember being told, because I started primarily with the Champions Tour guys and I had a lot of really good good players. I remember being told, no one peaks in golf until they're 30, 34 years old on the PGA Tour. And I thought to myself, that, that's kind of ridiculous because if you think about other sports, you know, hockey players are playing in the NHL at 20 and major league baseball players, some guys are coming up early and all. So I guess, I guess what ended up happening was we were able, starting around the late nineties, we were able to assess, start assessing college players. And we were starting to say, you know, this power and strength thing is good as long as there's mobility and the things we talked about early symmetry, mobility, but what kind of power do we need? We need to be able to jump as far as we can. We need to be able to stabilize on one leg and, and create transitional power. We need to be able to throw effectively. And so that started the whole process of gaining more and more speed. But then it evolved into a, a crazy kind of analogy because there was a study done that, that basically all this current technology for speed was based off. Padraig Harrington, before he won any majors, went to TPI, happened to be out there, and he, he wanted to hit the ball further. So they kind of came up with a technology where they, they basically gave him a seven iron that was his standard seven iron, and then a heavier seven iron, 20% heavier, and then like a junior club almost whippy shaft. So how do you get more speed? You Like any other sport, you swing with your club, and you swing with a heavier club, then you swing with a lighter club, and then you swing. And so there was a system that was created, and, and what we ended up finding out is not only that, you need to be able to swing opposite too. So if you're right-handed, you should be swinging left-handed. Well, what happens if we step and hold the lag and then swing? Well. All these speeds became measurable. So we were seeing this improvement. And from that research early on, what we found is there is a definitive way to, to gain speed. How much speed do you want to gain? How much speed can you gain until you get injured, right? How much speed can you gain until it becomes ineffective and the ball starts going in different directions? So that's where 3D technology comes in. And we have a lot of data capture and things where people are trying to add speed in the off season um, and, and, there's a system called stack system, which we use primarily. It also records your speed, but gives you a plan. So you're not just randomly out there swinging as fast as you can. So this will continue to improve. I think it's worthwhile for any recreational golfer, uh, for that matter, to, to get involved in that. But then it comes down to what your coach say. Do you need to do that before you practice? Do you need to do it after? How many swings do you make? Do you need to do it after a warm-up? Do you need to do it at the end? So everyone's kind of individualized. And I know this is a long explanation, but it's out there. It should be part of that whole balance, right? So you got your warm-up, you got your functional work, you've got um, your power work, and then you got your speed training. And as long as that is a balanced, mm -hmm. it's like a beach ball, right? You know? Beach ball's light, and then all of a sudden the wind blows, and it's gone. So you want to have that balance. You want to make sure that it's symmetrical, and, and everything you're doing is building from the center out. And uh, so for kids, just be careful that, that that speed isn't changing your technique because to swing fast, alter, altering your path and plane is not necessarily a good thing. Um, and also, there are players, like you mentioned, Matthew, who could do it prior to and during tournament weeks. I've got players I work with who only do it in the off season or on an off week. 
Um, I got other players who don't want to know anything about the speed because the technology that the Golf Channel has with TrackMan, they say that the speed on course during play is 15, 18, 16, 10% greater during tournament play than they can generate. So there's definitely variables out there. And uh, it also comes down to, are you a power player or a speed player? Um, Bryson, you know, more power to the guy. I mean, he did everything he thought was right. He ended up gaining that distance and winning, and then he ended up injuring himself. He had a wrist injury that was pretty bad. And um, so, you know, you can use a thousand different stories, but every individual should figure out exactly where that fits. And that goes back to consulting your PGA instructor. What's too much? What's enough? Speed's going to progress for juniors. They, they go from second gear to third gear, third gear to fourth gear, fourth gear to fifth gear. Those lucky enough to get to sixth gear probably don't need to be in seventh, right? Uh, I saw a stat today. It was great. Rory McIlroy, from 2010, he, uh, his ball speed was 171.9, and today it's 184.1. So he gained 12 miles an hour of ball speed over the course of his career. He's getting older. I see his workouts. They're intense, but it's not like he's a power lifter. He does intense training during tournament weeks, but it's not like he's going out there trying to hit the ball far. He has a, an unbelievable genetic match, you know, matchup and great talent and work ethic and all those things, enviable. Um, but he's also hypermobile, and he's, he's got it all, right? I mean, he's the perfect 5'9 golfing machine. Um, where, you know, you got a guy with long levers like Dustin Johnson, who just is able to create a lot of width and arc in his golf swing and generate speed almost more naturally without trying to hit it far. Um, so it's whatever the player needs to do, however they want to do it, they need to really take a look at their plan, their platform, try to do it over a six to 12 week period of time and reevaluate. Yeah, no, that's, that was a great explanation. I learned a lot from that, which I learn from you all the time. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have you on here. And the whole theory of the podcast is to have people on that I've been blessed to have, you know, in my life and have, um, you know, and learn from. So I know when I was becoming a trainer, you would always talk to me about things. And I always appreciated that. I do before we let you go, because I know I've probably kept you longer than you have time for, but I want you to give, uh, to have the ability to toot your own horn here and what you guys do at Sea Island. I know we've touched on a lot of points and the things that you do at this performance center. For the folks who aren't watching on video, they wouldn't get to see this, but even the people who are watching on video, if I could just turn the camera around and let you see what we're looking at, this is an incredible facility. And I think what goes on here is like no other place on the planet. So I want to just give you the chance to you know, to definitely talk about what goes on here beyond what maybe you've already told us. Well, I'll tell you, um, it's, it's truly a remarkable place in, in the world because it, it's old school and yet it's futuristic. Um, there's a lot of culture here. It's a very servant-oriented facility, and, and Sea Island itself, um, it's the only property in the United States with four or five-star rankings. Um, maybe in the world, but it was built on a golf foundation. Um, so our golf courses were built in 1928. And um, since then we've added others and renovated and we host a, a PGA tour event here every year. But from day one, the culture of Sea Island was based upon the fact that generations 
of people came here to learn and, and learn how to play golf and play golf and enjoy the hospitality and obviously the food and, and all those things. And we do have a, a phenomenal beach club and a five-star hotel and unbelievable things. But when they built this facility, it was people were on a boat just off the coast right here where we are off our driving range and they'd ferry them over and they'd go play golf. So we never lost track of our history from that standpoint. The lodge here has, has been amazing. Um, and the instructional staff historically, it, it's bar none, some of the greatest ever. Um, obviously Davis's father and uh, Jack Lumpkin, we're sitting in the Jack Lumpkin Library, Todd Anderson, um, and now Justin Parson and his staff. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's special. We, we work together. It's like being, um, it's like being in a fantasy land for golf, but it's real. The people are real. The relationships are real. Um, it's, it, we're fortunate. It doesn't, it doesn't take a situation where we're so dependent on hour after hour after hour that we can't sit back and build relationships. And I think that's what makes it special. And, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you this morning. I had a person who couldn't come for whatever reason they were out playing golf. And I just went back and chipped for 45 minutes. And I'm like, you know, I've been here 20 years and I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. The, the grass is perfect. The greens are perfect. I'm hitting perfect golf balls off a perfect surface with a great club, you know, so anyone can feel like they're a pro. And, and that was always Davis's dad's philosophy is we need to treat every player that comes here, regardless of ability, like they're on the PGA tour for that hour, for that day, for that week, for that month or whatever. And I think we try to do that. And uh, that's why I don't know if you can find a person in my travels. I have never found a person who, when they say you work at Sea Island, they don't go. That is one of my favorite places on the planet. Right, I love sure. Sea Island. Sea Island is the greatest. You know? and, and we almost blush and say, yeah, we're pretty fortunate. This is, this is what we do. This is where we're at. But there's a passion that comes along with that and also a responsibility. And uh, it's every day, all day. Uh, you try to do your best and, and then you get up and do it again tomorrow in the best place on the planet. So, uh, I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, obviously I'm very, I'm very proud of the things we've done here, the accomplishments we've had and the success, but it couldn't have happened without, you know, the Anschutz family and the Jones family and people like Mac Barnhart and Jimmy Johnson and, and Jeremy Elliott. And th those are the agents that represent, you know, the players around here and, and uh, the vision that was here and created that was fulfilling basically Davis Loves Fowler's vision, which is we want to create the best environment that simulates a tour event every day of the year. And that's what we do. And for so. sure. I mean, I always feel like, you know, I don't get to practice, certainly don't get to play a lot of golf, but I don't get to practice. And when I'm here, I'm like I said to my, my dad today. If it wasn't so hot, I think I'd be hitting balls over <laughs> here after we were done. Cause I was like, cause we had already played golf today, right. but I was like, I just always want to practice when I'm here. So we will put in the go show in the notes. simulator I know. <laughs> or go out and work That's on right. the putting course, you know, and I, I mean, love the putting course too. You know, it is hot in the summer. It's, uh, we kind of take pride in it. You know, it, I know it's time to go, but whatever season you go and come here, there's always something for everyone. And the, the thing about it is, you know, late afternoon right now the tide's going out probably and if you went out right now you could walk nine holes carry your own bag and it is not hot, hotter than any any place else you know mm -hmm. um if you're trying to go out anywhere at 12 o'clock in the middle of the summer uh, i do those camps we have junior camps it is hot 
Um, but you stay hydrated and you learn, you weather it. But in the winter, there's not a day you can't play. But what's nice about this is, and you know, I, I lived in Jupiter, Florida. I love Jupiter, Florida. It was, it's great, great foundational place for me and a lot of pros live there. But I like putting a sweater on in the winter. And I, I like going outside where for the sure. wind's blowing. So, you know, you, you find your spots. And, and I got to tell you, in summary, that's why it's probably the most popular at one point was one of the most popular third des third home destinations in the world people lived in chicago and naples or long island and and uh, south florida but a lot of that travels right here through saint simons and sea island yeah it's just as you know it's one of my favorite places so of course my first idea is let's take this thing on location <laughs> and go to sea island like why wouldn't i do that you well, know that wouldn't be me. that wouldn't be me if i didn't do that right. um but how can folks reach out to you or how can what's the best way to i know you're not a social media guy you're not you're not uh, out i don't there do much of it so how how do you want people to follow you or reach out to even find out you know how to work with you guys at sea island i get a lot of uh i have actually on i do have a web page and it's just Randy Myers golf. So if you search Randy Myers golf, um, first thing that'll come up is the stretching pole, but you can, you can get the training aids we use with our tour players. There's also video tips and highlights of that. Um, you know, I got to tell you, it's pretty interesting. I do like social media. I don't like to participate in it because someone created a, a alternate account of mine and it made me so, I'm so old school. It made me so mad <laughs> that they were sending out things about cryptocurrency and people were calling me like, what are you talking? I'm like, that's it. I'm done. So I banned myself from it for a while. I'll go back. But the point is, <laughs> you can always go to my website and just look up Randy Myers Golf and, you know, buy something or buy a book. I've got a book that's been out. If you don't want to go on there, you can go uh, on Amazon, buy my book. Um, it's called Fit for Golf, Fit for Life. And uh, it's a foundational book. If you have a trainer, buy it, give it to your trainer. Um, if you have a husband that's complaining they don't hit it anywhere, buy my book give it to him as a gift, give it to your wife. If she doesn't hit it far enough, whatever those things, but it breaks down all those things we talked about today, assessment, functional training, strength training, speed trainings in there, nutrition. Um, it's been out. It's third, third production, whatever you call it, third edition now. So, um, it's, it's been good. It's a great book. It's yeah, a great I mean, book. It's a, it's a good coffee table read. Yes. There's, if you don't do anything, it gives you where, where to start. And if you're like, you know, the CrossFit King, uh, I can still show you there's things you're missing from the golf perspective. So awesome. Well, Randy, thank you for joining us. I hope I didn't talk too long today. That's a wrap for this episode of Ripple Effect Connection. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on golf and fitness. I know that anyone looking to improve their ability to play this wonderful game got some great tips. So a big thank you to Randy Myers for joining us. And oh, by the way, go USA. Now that you've been inspired, here's my call to action for you. Take a moment to reflect on the insights and wisdom Randy shared. How can you apply these lessons to your own health, well-being, and fitness? If you're looking to start a new routine, start slow. You can't do 20 push-ups if you can't do one. And think about enlisting the services of a personal trainer to find the workout that's right for you and your body. It's such an important step. I'd love to hear from you. So connect with me on social media and let me know what resonated with you. Reach out on Instagram at wholehealthchristy and I'm happy to continue the conversation. You can also visit my website, christyhugic.com and all the podcast episodes have full show notes on christyhugic.com slash podcast. Next, spread the inspiration. 
If you can, take the time to like, follow, review, and share this podcast with others who may benefit from these stories. Stay tuned for the next episode of Ripple Effect Connection. Let's create waves of change together.